this historic space? Well, um, to my knowledge, some of these dates might be incorrect, but I'll, um, after Bucky, when Bucky left in 1971, uh, he sold the dome to Mike Mitchell. And then Mike then um, used that for revenue as student housing. And so there were many, many, many students who lived there. Mm -hmm. And then in, in uh, I think, 2002, uh, Bill Perk, who was head of the design department and actually came here because of Bucky, mm -hmm. uh, purchased the dome. And then a number of years after that, um, Bill and Joe Clinton and Johnny Johnson and Allegra Fuller, uh, um, started the uh, RBF Dome, NFP, R. Buckminster Fuller uh, Dome non-for-profit organization. Uh, Cornelius Crane was one of the first presidents. Uh, following him was Brent Ritzel, and then following Brent was myself. Um, uh, one of the two of them, uh, I think Brent, uh, uh, it might have been Corny, wrote a grant when... when um, uh, Obama came into to presidency, mm -hmm. and it was an economic stimulus, and part of it was through, through the National Park Service, uh, Save America's Treasures. Mm -hmm. And the grant was submitted to the National Park Service. Uh, the dome was awarded $125,000 that we needed to match. Mm -hmm. And we sat on that for a number of years without doing anything. And then we decided, let's start doing something. And um, uh, Thad Heckman came in, uh, did a set of beautiful drawings, mm -hmm. uh, divided the work up into three different phases. Uh, we uh, set the uh, first phase out for a bid. Uh, uh, Blair Wolfham of, of, of uh, Dome Inc., an international dome uh, designer and builder, mm -hmm. uh, was awarded the contract, and we were off and running with phase one. Uh, you know, that, then that dealt with the uh, rebuilding of a lot of the structural integrity uh, from the dome itself. Um, as Thad would say, you know, you measure a dome's uh, um, plumbness and, and, and um, uh, squareness by the, the, the uh, serifity, that is the surface of the dome itself, mm -hmm. is, cur is curvilinear, uh, is spherical points, uh, each of the... Um, uh, vertice that are there. So the more it was, like a circle it is, the more like true to the form that it absolutely, is. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. And it was a mess. There was one <laughs> Pentagon uh, that was actually, they somebody had to try to rebuild it and they were off by two inches. Mm -hmm. And so it was actually caved in and there was a six by six post, you know, on, from the floor to the center of the Pentagon holding it up. Other Ooh. parts of it had been rotted out. Um, the... Um, the cork floor, since it had gone through so many students mm -hmm. with no uh, animal restrictions, uh, cats and dogs, particularly cats in there, <laughs> ruined the floor. Um, but the, the cork upstairs is the original cork. Mm -hmm. um, and there was probably enough THC in the plywood. You could probably <laughs> burn it and get high. <laughs> um, so it was a real effort to get it off the ground. And it's a preservation project, which means... I can't just take the window that was originally uh, installed there, which is a single pane, you know, has really no um, um, uh, weather capability mm -hmm. as far as uh, insulating and, and, and uh, protection per, per se. Uh, but I have to get one of those uh, rebuilt, refurbished is thousands of dollars. And so the, and, and because it's of the National Park Service, 
Um, we would have to get a variance to do anything uniquely new. Mm-hmm. And we did get one that um, when Bucky first finished the house, um, it, the, the slab was cast by uh, Paul and Ira Parrish. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was, it was a, um, um, uh, um, let me a second here. Radiant floor heating, mm-hmm. uh, which still works, which is amazing. Wow. Uh, then eight days later, from what I understand, uh, Bucky convinced uh, uh, SIU students uh, to come over to the house on Forest and help erect the dome because it came in uh, triangle pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was one side of it had varnish on it. They connected them together. And then supposedly uh, Bucky put some kind of cinematic tape over the seams. It didn't work. It leaked. <laughs> Like a sieve. And so they put it at, from that point on, they started shingling it and shingling it and shingling it. And we took about three layers of shingles off. But the variance we were able to get with the National Park Service uh, was to use a membrane roof. Sometimes they're known as TPO roofs or M, uh, um, EPDM roofs, uh, but it's a membrane roof that's been around. It's been around Germany a long time mm-hmm. and uh, not a cheap roof, but it lasts. It doesn't leak um, and it, it, makes, it looks good, too. No, that is a spot-on space for a segue, because I'm hoping that this show looks good, too. doesn't just look good, sounds good, too, right? That's the whole idea on a podcast here. The WTF Carbondale one, where we talk to interesting people about their interesting lives and tie it all back to this little old place we call home, Carbondale, Illinois, episode 64, which I just had a flash in my mind. I thought I had not changed that number over, but it is John Davey. I'm so appreciative of you taking the time to do this, man. Like you've been kind of on my mind since even starting this series. And I'm just kind of play this out for a times right sort of deal. And and when Judy had made a mention of, Hey, let's, you know, what, what can we do? Let's do something for the dome. And I was like, well, let's do a podcast series. You know, let's start with John and see where we go from there. And, uh, so thanks for thanks for participating, man. Well, you're more than welcome. (laughs) This, this This is very lovely to be here. So you, you, uh, you, as we were talking before the the show started, you came to Carbondale uh, to be a student. Was it always architecture uh, and and building and 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 that in in your line of sight or? Oh, oh wow, it goes back a long way. I <laughs> my first job when I was in third grade, I was living in Oklahoma City, and there was a they were building a house down about two blocks away. And I would just walk down there and met the contractor and said, can I work for you? Uh Third grade. And he paid me a quarter (laughs) an hour to pick up nails. So that was my first construction job, or I would say introduction into architecture. Uh Um, What really brought me to Carmdale were a number of things. I was going to school and and high school in in, uh, Mount Vernon. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would come down to Carmdale a lot for uh, to to meet friends to party and to um, also purchase things uh-huh. uh, <laughs> um, and then I also remember Carbondale uniquely um, I ended up being drafted I was the last of the draft uh, I had a, my number was 33 in the lottery um, I was going to school full-time at Ren Lake I was working full-time mm-hmm. as a pastry chef at the top of the first in Mount Vernon and I knew nothing about deferments and really couldn't get one of those last few years anyway mm-hmm. so I was drafted and I remember coming back on leave and um, and then the, the the vote had changed where I could vote at that time, but I couldn't get into a bar because I was only 19. And so I, I came here with a girlfriend. We tried to get in Merlin's down the street. Mm-hmm. They carted me. And I, you know, I was just amazed. You know, here I am. You know, I'm a soldier. 
I've gone through basic training. I'm going to go get some more training as a tank driver, and I can't even go into a bar. Uh-huh. So I was feeling pretty miserable about that. So we walked down the street, and about where you're sitting in the balcony, uh, <laughs> my, my girlfriend and I sat down, and we saw Jeremiah Johnson. You know, uh, That was 1973 or 72, a long uh-huh. time ago. Um, but then what brought me back to Carbondale uh, was, a, was a girlfriend. You know, I'd always, you know, I wanted to study architecture. Um, then I th- thought about psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, I just, I had a, um, a dream, uh, you know, and I know this is going to sound strange. And I dreamed that all my architecture tools were given to me. Uh-huh. And I said, well, you know, I always wanted to be in architecture. And there was an ar- associate degree architecture program here in Carbon. So I applied, you know, for it, got in, um, and then just kept going from there. Uh, to where I am today, and and uh, um, and I always liked Carbondale. It was always a magic city yeah. uh, at times, and hopefully we'll get to that once again. Uh, that's that's fingers crossed, right? A- Adam Fletcher and I. And I've, I've <laughs> I did a, I did a different uh, uh, a podcast, somebody else's podcast yesterday. I couldn't help but keep talking about it because I was trying to sell these guys. Hey, man, Carbondale is the happening place. Like we got this thing that it could be in another five or ten years. You guys should be latched onto this, and I was talking about this video that he shared of 1980s downtown Carbondale yeah. John Candy showing up with the NBC yeah. Roadshow and like just the the flood of people and this building in the background and more shots than I could count and mm-hmm. I just it was lovely to see and it's just like that while that that amount of activity may not be here still the spirit of it is and we just got to keep grinding until it gets back to where it ought to be yeah. um so it's 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 cool for somebody like like yourself who has, you know, the Carbondale story, but also something that that I really appreciate is that you've got a Southern Illinois story too. Because so you're so are you originally from Mount Vernon? That's where you were born and raised. Or? No, I'm a New Yorker. Okay, I was born in Buffalo, New York. Um, take a step back. My father was born in uh, Northern Rhodesia, in a mud hut, uh, f- uh, about 50 miles from Victoria Falls. My grandfather was a missionary in Africa. Uh, my, va- my, my father um, went to school at Swansea Wells, came to the United States on the Queen Mary when it was painted O.D. green with a 120-millimeter gun. Uh, <laughs> he joined the Canadian Air Force, and uh, um, I mean, two weeks after we dropped the, the, the bombs on uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, uh, they let everybody go out of the Air Force in, in Canada because there was no need for them yeah. at all. Um, and he met my mother in Maine, and he, my father went back between radio and television and the ministry. They never put the two together. Hmm. Um, they, he, uh, I went to six different grade schools, and the thing is that he would, um, he was near orthodox in his belief, mm-hmm. and he would say, say the wrong thing in the sermon Sunday morning, the <laughs> board of trustees would meet in the afternoon, and he'd be fired, and we'd be looking for a new uh, um, a place for him to preach. Um, <laughs> what he was doing in in, um, in Mount Vernon, while we were in, living in Oklahoma City, he landed a job as a as a custodian uh, for the television station. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember him talking to me. He goes, they asked me, well, well, will you do anything else here? If we ask him, he says, absolutely. Then he went to the cameraman, and then he finally broke into the news. And when we moved to Decatur, Illinois, 
we had a show. He had a show called Davy's Locker, which was in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. It was almost like uh, the Action Kids or Bandstand. Uh-huh. He would bring in local groups, rock and roll groups, uh, interview kids and the stuff. Um, and my dad had a, a, a such a low baritone voice. I mean, it's next to James Earl Jones. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. when he call you on the phone, you would think you were talking to God. Um, <laughs> and then he went from being the guy that um, had kids shows and tried to do the, the noon uh, news show. Well, that, that's a hard, you know, you're, you're talking about kids and good things and you're talking about murders and you know, car wrecks and stuff, yeah. it didn't work. So then he landed a job as general manager of WMIX in Mount Vernon, uh, working for John Mitchell. And WMIX uh, still stands to this day. Yep, it? it sure is. And back then it was easy listening. And so uh, WMX would get all these brand new records. And I remember dad came home one time uh, with um, uh, Led Zeppelin 1. And he goes, you know, Johnny, we don't play these on WMX. You could have it. So I think I might have been the first kid in <laughs> Southern Illinois to have Led Zeppelin one. Uh, and oh, I fell in love with it from that point on. Um, but then I, um, what brought me back here is that I had spent my time in Germany. Uh, I had met a girl and, uh, while traveling over there. And I went back to Pennsylvania. She was going to state college there. And um, I got a job. Because uh, I was trying to get academic, I got a job, believe it or not, in a leisure suit factory. I was the bundle boy, you know. And I had been on a, on a military base, a combat ready base, that there were no females, mm-hmm. you know. So I was, you know, expecting to see, you know, you know, I, I was easy to see, you know, all the playboys and the language and what have you. Mm-hmm. Well, I now work at a leisure suit f- factory, you know, being the bundle boy. Uh, that means I move stacks of leisure suits from one point to another for them to be pressed. Mm-hmm. And then I work with all these gals cursing and reading a Playgirl magazine. which <laughs> is like, okay. Um, but I didn't work there very long. I um, came back and realized that Illinois treated their veterans uh, economically and kindly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went back and I got academic at Ren Lake for a semester and then came to Carbondale and started studying architecture. Um, and it just went on from there. And you've, I mean, have you always worked at SIU since uh, following schooling, or is this something that you came oh, back to? Good question. No, no, no. Um, when I graduated with my bachelor's degree in architecture studies in 1979, and I, and I also acquired my associate degree that same summer, mm-hmm. uh, the first thing uh, uh, my girlfriend and I did is that we packed our bags and spent three months traveling through Europe. Oh, that's great. You know, you know go, touching into Africa, uh, making it all the way to Istanbul, mm-hmm. uh, up into the Norwegian countries. Uh, we tried to get into uh, Russia at that time on a, on a day pass, <laughs> but they only do that in the summertime. Uh-huh. Uh, so when we, we came back, uh, she was pregnant and I needed a job. <laughs> uh, so I packed up my, uh, my, my uh, portfolio I put my nicest pair of pants on and a nice sweater on and, and put a, a uh, got my resume out and I went knocking door to door for architecture firms. Well, it's pretty sad, you know, I, I didn't get anywhere. You know, I remember um, <laughs> going to Dale Lovelace and he said he would hire me immediately. And then I walked into Arnack and Associates and I landed a job there. Uh, and, and I worked for uh, Bob Knack for, well, actually for about 10 years, but full time for a couple years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, then uh, Gene Trotter was head of the architecture program, and they had a faculty member go on medical leave uh, in, the, in the winter uh, semester. Mm-hmm. Well, he called me up and asked me if I'd like to teach. 
you know, so I was offered to teach a specification course and a working drawings course, and I kept my job still. And I let that happen for uh, a couple years, and then I was asked to, uh, and then the position opened up as a visiting lecturer, so I applied, mm -hmm. got that, and then it opened up as a faculty tenure track. Uh, after about six years of working as a, as, a, as a term employee, I got that. And it just you know, kept going from there until I'm full professor now and, and enjoying it. And uh, it's still loving to teach. This is my 41st year of teaching. Uh, and I'm, my goal is to reach 50 years. And there was a gentleman, I always used to watch him, I don't know his name. He taught physiology. His office was in the Wheeler Hall. Mm -hmm. He took little sp tiny steps. He was 98 or something. <laughs> and I would take him 20 minutes to get from the flagpole to Wheeler Hall. Uh -huh. But I would go, that's the kind of guy I want to be still teaching. You know, hopefully interesting at the same time. I mean, that's admirable, John. And it's very real. I, I mean, you know, we, we haven't had a whole lot of interactions, but what we have had, uh, they've all been pleasant. And, and this here now, right, I can see what it would be like to be captivated by John Davey talking about architecture in a lecture hall, right? Like I could, I could latch onto that. Right. And it's, and I, is, is that something that you feel like just that, that the performative aspect, uh, to, to pedagogy, is that something that, uh, you, you would have kind of picked up from your dad along the oh, way? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure I picked it up from my dad and from my grandfather. Um, I remember my dad bringing home Toastmaster trophies this tall. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, so he, I mean, <laughs> he was a great sophist, mm -hmm. you know, he wasn't a deep philosopher. You know, I wasn't a deep theologian, but uh, if you needed somebody to argue, he was very good at doing that <laughs> <laughs> and intimidate you. Oh, that's too funny. That's so too I, think funny. It's, I think it's just a natural attribute for me to stand in front of an audience and, and talk. Yeah. Um, and the, the thing that I, I had add, added to my lectures in history is that I decided I would dress up like certain characters. Mm -hmm. So years ago when I was introducing uh, Greek ancient Greek architecture, I would come in there with my split nylon running pants and my Nike running shoes and tank top and talk about marathon running and architecture. Uh, when I talked about um, uh, Romanesque architecture, I have a monk's habit that I wear. Um, uh, when I talked about Byzantine architecture, I dressed up as uh, King Solomon yeah. for Hagia Sophia and, and, uh, and Justice, Justin Teen, the, the, uh, the lawgiver. Um, I mean... Um, and I'm, even when I dress up, uh, giving a lecture on um, uh, Albert Speer, you know, the, the Nazi architect, um, there were times I dressed up that were pretty scary looking. Oof. You know, but I, did, I do a big disclaimer in front of the class. I, yeah, no, that it, it's, that's reasonable. But I mean, these are, these are, these are historical things that, that happen in a particular way. And if you are studying them in a particular way, you're trying to provide somebody the, the, the full depth of, of character that's associated with that activity. Uh, not easy, I, I have no doubt, but um, adds to it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, when I introduced that lecture, prior to that, I talk about my friend, uh, the old girlfriend, that her father... Uh, 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 was a World War II POW. Mm -hmm. He was captured by the Germans. Had, as he was leaving Paris, he was a scout for, uh, for General Patton. Mm -hmm. And he ended up uh, from November 44 to April 45 uh, in a POW camp in Poland. Uh, so we talked a lot, you know, when I would come home and, and visit, uh, he opened up and talked to me a lot about being in the prison camp. 
Uh, he actually won a bronze star. And the second, when I, when I was in Germany, I had the opportunity, I didn't want to go for a long time to visit uh, Dachau. And someone said, you really need to go take a look at it, John. Mm -hmm. And so I went there, and it really um, made a mark on me. You know? And when I found out later, I had been stationed in Berlin first, and then I was transferred down to uh, uh, West Germany, and I was in a small uh, uh, town called Amber, Amberg, mm -hmm. uh, that we never touched during, never bombed during the wars. Um, but I found out later as I was went to uh, um, Washington D.C. and I was in the Holocaust Museum. Mm -hmm. There is one place that there is a big panel, and you push it, and it lights up all of the major concentration camps, but including all the holding camps. And to my surprise, Pond Barracks, which was in Amberg, which was the, the uh, third of the second cab, which I belonged to, mm -hmm. our barracks were holding uh, camps uh, for Jews heading to the concentration camps. I lived there for two years, and no one said one thing to me about it. Wow. You know, so I introduced that to the class, and just making a point out of it, that, you know, uh, these are things that really did happen, and we should really be sensitive about it and understand them. Um, how, how much... Right. And, and, and we always think of or, or, uh, there are a lot of people that think of history in the context of the interactions of the individuals. Right. Or the interactions of, of humans and nature or, you know, never you know, not not everybody thinks of history in terms of the structures that exist in the, in the physicality of of the places that humans themselves erected and how that represents the history that lives in that. And I just, it, it sounds like that's something that really inspires kind of not just the way that you teach, but the way that you engage with the world around you and, and contextualize the world. Yeah. The, the barracks that I lived in in, in Berlin, um, they used to be the stables, and mm -hmm. they cleaned up, it was nice. And the swimming pool that, that we would, the, the natatorium that we'd go swimming in and play uh, water soccer uh, was the, the swimming pool. There's something called the, the Night of the Long Knives, where there were a number of German officers executed, and that was the pool they were shot in. Mm -hmm. And you've seen that also that picture, the, the blowing up of the uh, swastika on top of a building. That was RPX. I mean, that, that's how close, you know, um, I was to history itself. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, we had a, a range to, for our uh, tanks uh, in Berlin, we could go drive around. You know, so we'd, with an engineering group, we'd have bulldozers out there and, and, and caterpillars, and we'd create these tank traps and have fun. Mm -hmm. Well, we did something. We, we were a bunch of hippies, what mm -hmm. we were. And we did something <laughs> crazy. We went out and um, we carved the tank traps to spell peace, mm -hmm. you know, facing the East German towers. You know, uh, a brigade is, a, is 800 men. Mm -hmm. We were surrounded by 10 divisions. That's uh, 100,000 soldiers on the outside. Mm -hmm. uh, the joke was, if ever World War III was going to happen, they would just paint POW on Berlin Wall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so was, was, your, was your time drafted, spent, more pointed towards the Cold War? And and that time in in Germany then. But the Cold War. I am a Cold War uh, veteran. Okay. I am a, I'm a, a Vietnam Air veteran, but I did not fight in Vietnam. Okay. Um, um, I we almost went to war in 1973 when the Egyptian-Israeli war occurred. Uh, I was in Amberg in, in in West Germany, and uh, we spent half our time in the field. 
And so all our tanks and all our equipment were painted uh, uh, OD camouflage, green camouflage. Well, the orders came down one day, uh, paint everything sand color uh, uh, camouflage. I go, in Germany? You know? uh-huh. So we were getting ready to go in and fight uh, as, the, as the second cab uh, in, in Israel. But the Israelis took care of that rather quickly. So that's 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 quite a quite a quick shift to happen. I'm sure, like in your mind, like if there's a thing that that really says what you're getting ready to do to redress yourself, yeah, yep. uh, speaks speaks to what um, what uh, what likelihood there there is. I mean, contextualizing that and just the the relevancy of of the modern day conflict and just knowing mm-hmm. that that this is that this is not something that uh, you know is. It is a it is continuing to be ongoing and has been uh, you know for you know, well well before even World War II and I, I don't need to go down this rabbit hole on on you know all the all the reading and all the contextualization of, of colonialization and and uh, the Middle East but uh, yeah I mean that's just a, again a, a real a very real experience that still finds itself carrying through to to this day so mm-hmm. not just the the history stuff john i'm i'm really i'm really dug into this this is this is cool stuff so and and i'll and i'll steer it back kind of towards the bucky dome for for a little bit talking about history and and preservation and kind of what's uh what's been going on in 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 the most recent times uh because the i mean you guys have done everything as as far up to actually getting parts of the library back yes. into the mm-hmm. bucky dome now yeah. and that's like that's that's accessible, pull it off the wall kind of history. Yeah, we were just uh, gifted uh, 3,500 books. Uh, for, and these are books that were in Bucky's dome mm-hmm. and Ann's dome, and also were there in his office. Uh, Allegra Fuller, the uh, their daughter, working with her uh, her children, Jamie and Alexandra, uh, gave us you know the the, uh, the books. Uh, and uh, um, Ben Lauer, who is the artist and resident at the uh, religious center, the Dome in Edwardsville, SIU Edwardsville, uh, went out to California twice in a uh, U-Haul to picking up the books and the artifacts. And so we now have some of the Herman Miller chairs that were originally there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, Ann's desk that was originally there. We have the food dogs, which are two purple food dogs that uh, when they were uncrated this last spring, it was like being, you know, at King Tuck's tomb, mm-hmm. you know, because they'd have been created since 1971, you know, and just stored away. So we're real excited about those kind of things, you know, to, uh, uh, and more people. You might have got two calls today for tours. Um, I did a tour yesterday, uh, and, and, and so it's all by calling, you know, either myself or, or Judy up or any of the other um, mm-hmm. board members, and we're ready to give a tour right away. So that's and, a good pitch right now. Like, if, if people want a tour, they can contact the, the Dome Home and get a tour. Absolutely. Oh, that's Absolutely. phenomenal to yeah. know, and I'm, yeah. and I'm happy to be able to, to share that, and I'll, I'll probably put a little bit more content around that. Uh, as as well and and try and get it out there that's ah, that's what terrified me about even thinking about the copyrights going into the bucky dome and doing a music video was to think of is is this fragile at this point or is it just a perfectly uh you know livable walkable experiential uh space now as you've kind of gotten through the stages of restoration it is it's a safe um well well uh, preserved uh, Structural-wise, I remember walking in there one day. The Grammer Brothers, which is a, uh, two carpenters from Murfreesboro, mm-hmm. I walked in, I, into the main 
uh, living room area, and they had five miter saws all at different angles, so they didn't have to restructure their their the tool. And you, when you looked at the ceiling and where the you know the pentagons were and the hexagons were all coming together, mm-hmm. it looked like a fine. A Japanese woodwork box that you had made, almost like the Green and Green Brothers uh, that designed the the uh, Gamble House in Pasadena, mm-hmm. which was, which was the actual setting for uh, the uh, Crazy Professor and Back to the Future. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the house looks like you're walking into it's beautiful. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to take a step back yeah, and please. Um, the first time I came across anything but Mr. Fuller was I was at Grafenvier, which was Rommel's tank base in Germany. Uh, we would take our tanks there, and we had shooting ranges and the like, and they had a, a Christian coffee house there. So I ventured in there, and um, there was a big poster on the wall, and it was, it was a big dandelion, and then below that were the words, um, uh, um, let me get straight here, uh, to me, God is not uh, a, a noun, God is a verb, uh, and then they, it was kind of an apology going either way, but it was but Mr. Fuller. Mm-hmm. And I go, oh, that's kind of interesting. And, uh, and then what I got out of the service, going to, going, kind of trying to get academic again at Rand Lake, uh, I had a close friend, uh, uh, Mary Bork, um, whose uh, um, nephew owns Common Grounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Mary said, let's go down to Carbon and listen to Bucky Fuller. And I said, I packed up the, my old 62 Tempest, and <laughs> we drove down here, and we heard Bucky speak for, this was 1976, um, not for one, not for two, not for three, not for four, not for five, but six straight hours. Wow. And, you know, I remember him with the styrofoam balls and talking about packing, and you take 12 spears together, and you get a tetrahedron inside, and I was just going, I, can't, I, I, don't, want to, I don't know what he's talking about. But it was amazed. It was fun. I, I I don't even begin to comprehend it myself because I like I said I'm I'm one of those folks that thinks of the world in in uh, experiences based in relationships right but to think of the world in experiences based in shape and matter and geography I mean what is that something that that has come natural to you that you've been able to kind of follow on on a line along and that kind of fits you into the Buckminster Fuller project just the same or has this been something that that you have to kind of work towards and and comprehend as you yourself have had to listen to others speak um I am right now my goal is to read through everything Bucky uh, has has uh, written and um I started out with uh, operating manual for spaceship earth which was was easy mm-hmm. I haven't got to synergetics yet um, um so I'm trying to educate myself fully about that, that kind of thing. Um, I miss not having him here to talk to him. Yeah. You know, but, but, but I've got Bill Perk, you know, and that's just one degree of difference between Bucky. And I remember uh, afternoon, I mean, coming back from um, a, a Bucky event in East St. Louis, I was in the parking lot, the Blue Barracks parking lot with Bill Perk until late in, the, in at 12 o'clock at night uh-huh. asking him questions about Bucky. And Bill was like, Bucky, he, he can talk for the whole, the whole day. <laughs> and, and so I got a lot of my information, you know, from Bill Perk. Um, very interesting. Well, and Bill's Bill's on my list. I've got to call him, but I but I got I got everybody's contact uh, yesterday from from Judy, and I'm going to give him a ring. I'm hoping that here in the next couple of days I'll be able to get him in here and and. Well, you better bring out the reel to reel because he can talk a long time. Hey, that's the beauty of digital. I think I'm going to try and get him in on a Sunday afternoon, so we've got that 
depth of time. And if we hit three hours, we hit three hours. If we hit six hours, I think this thing cuts off at eight. <laughs> I think eight hours is the is the extent of uh, <laughs> data that I that I can generate with this program at once, and I'll I'll let it roll. Yeah, <laughs> you know some some things about Bucky that I, that I've come across lately is in uh, 1730, the first Fuller came to America. It was a British sailor on furlough, mm -hmm. and he liked the, uh, the, the colony's spirit and their desire uh, for freedom, their desire to have their own country, so he stayed. And then I think his grandson uh, was part of the Continental Congress, but, and he, his grandson did not sign the Constitution uh, because there was no mention of, 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 uh, of eradicating slavery. Wow. which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah. And then Bucky's great aunt uh, was Margaret Fuller. She was a, a transcendentalist. Uh, she, her good friends were Walt Whitman, who wrote Leaves of Grass, mm -hmm. and Henry Thoreau, who wrote Walden Pond. And so if, and when you look at Bucky, um, there was a book I just read, Pioneer Americans, um, that talks about Bucky's transcendentalism. Yeah. And, and what he's looking for is that, um, uh, I'll use the term, uh, that that God molecule, mm -hmm. but he's looking for it as a, as a shape in yeah. nature itself, uh, as though um, uh, he could he could create he would understand nature by discovering that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, he's very similar to uh, the architect Louis Sullivan. Uh, that Louis Sullivan believed that artists and architects uh, can take something, uh, you know, a piece of stone, uh, a piece of glass something natural and from that it has the seed germ in it mm -hmm. and that artist or that architect can create something ex nihilo out of nothingness mm -hmm. from just something that's bare and i think bucky had that idea too uh, just to kind of compare him with louis sullivan in that you know in, in in the simplest of business terms right natural capital right and it that that to me woof, right here John, of, of like the of the concept of what natural capital is right and natural capital is uh, you know in, in my mind a very simple comparison to make is the shape of a fish applied to a vehicle for aerodynamics right yeah. that is the architecture of nature applicable to the engineering of man yeah. mm -hmm. um ah that's cool <laughs> one of the other ideas that bucky has uh and he was something called a um, tensegrity, he, he would make up words all the time. Yeah. And some of his sentences in his book would go for a page and a half. Uh, <laughs> and, and so you've got to kind of sit there with a, with a, a Bucky dictionary when you, when you start running into some of his words. Mm -hmm. um, but tensegrity is, is looking at nature. And, and nature has two things that, they, that it uses to build. One is compression mm -hmm. and the other is tension. Uh -huh. And so Bucky thought that we should design things that are equal in tension and compression. Mm -hmm. And the best example of that is your own human body. Look at the young, the young uh, gymnast that she just broke the, Miles, yeah. yes. broke the record of the, so many flips and what have you. I mean, that body, the bones are all in compression, the ligaments and muscles and tendons are all in tension, and she can do those wonderful, fantastic things with her body. That's amazing to me. And that's nature, you yeah. know, kind of leading the way. That's wild to think about. And, like, I've, you know, I've, I've you know, I've always kind of, you know, conceptualized, like, what are, what are some of the basic uh, you know, tenants to, to construction that I understand. And one of the few of 
few things of them. I'm a terrible homeowner. Uh, is uh, uh, is is compression strength and tensile strength, mm-hmm. right? I, I understand the the difference between the ability of of rubber to flex it and concrete to hold strong, mm-hmm. right? And and to think that yeah, the the human body itself is both capable of of that compression and that tensile and that defines some of the, the applicable abilities that we have uh, as folks. And, you know, I'm sure that even goes into deeper of how the body is then used to produce architecture itself. And I'm thinking of just something that's simple for everybody to grasp on is the Egyptian pyramids, right? And it's like, how did we as human beings construct something like that in a, in a, uh, you know, world with rudimentary tools. And that goes back to the capacity of the human body to both be, you know, uh, compressive and, and, and tense in, in mm-hmm. both of its strengths. Huh. I was, um, came across something the other day that when Bucky was young, uh, he had bad eyesight. Uh, some say he was nearsighted. Some say he was farsighted. All I know is he had bad eyesight. <laughs> um, that he, one of the first, um, Gifts he, he worked with were the Frobel uh, gifts. Uh, Frobel was a, um, he studied crystals, you know, not New Age crystallology, but crystals, actual crystals. Mm-hmm. Um, he um, was in Prussia, and he created a set of uh, gifts and occupations. Gifts are like we would call visual aids in education today, mm-hmm. and occupations would be the, uh, um, the, the um, uh, uh, lecture guide, mm-hmm. the, the, the curriculum guide. And um, the, f- the first one is you would have a sphere, and, and when a baby or a two-year-old plays with a sphere, they would realize that there are no right angles, or no, no flat surfaces, mm-hmm. that everything is continuous, that everything affects each other. And almost like a futurist, that you put your, finger, your hand behind your back and wiggle your little finger, it affects the furthest quasar in space. Uh-huh. Um, and then the second gift was um, you had a cube and you had a sphere. Well, the sphere can't be the cube and the cube can't be the sphere. But, it, but if you create a cylinder, and one way you can hold the cylinder and you can see that it looks like a sphere. But the other way you hold it, it looks like a cube. Mm-hmm. And so basically what hey, – excuse me, what um, – uh, Frobel was arguing that that young child was learning relativity, mm-hmm. that, you know, it's not square, it's not round, it's both the same thing. It's not black, it's not white, it's gray. It's not yes, it's not no, it's almost the same thing. And Bucky played with uh, one of those um, 21 different gifts and occupations that his mother got him, and that was he had dry peas with toothpicks, and the, one of the first things he uh, built was a, a tetrahedron oxen, if I get it right, a triangle mechanism uh-huh. that was with him for the rest of his life. Um, he invented, uh, he was also a very questioning uh, student. I mean, he, there were times he would make people very aggravated. Um, <laughs> but he would question all that all the time. Um, the, uh, this, the family owned uh, an, an island in Penobscot Bay called Bear Island. Mm-hmm. And um, and. Bucky would have to row in every day, I think two miles, to pick up groceries to pick up the mail and row back again. Mm-hmm. I mean, also through the fog and through choppy waters and what have you. So one of the first things he invented was it looked like a long stick, and it would actually pull it towards you while it's in the water, and it poured towards you, it would, it would, it would collapse. But then when you push it back against the water, it would open up, you know, almost just like a squid. 
Mm-hmm. And he could, he could then look forward instead of looking backward in his rowboat, pushing the, the device and, and see where he was going. Um, that was one of the first things he ever designed, and, and I think it's pretty neat. You know, but he had a, a love for the sea. Um, and, and even on his tombstone, rather on, on the tombstone of he and, and uh, Anne, uh, there's the word trim tab. Mm-hmm. And the trim tab is a little bitty... Uh, rudder on the larger rudder, and it's not only on huge ships, but it's on airplanes too. Yeah. And that little bitty rudder helps turn, helps sway the big rudder in place by just doing a little tiny thing. And the the analogy uh, or the metaphor that Bucky was going after that we need to be trim tabs. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, maybe I do just such a very little bit of thing, but I can have an effect upon, you know. My house, my street, my block, my city, my community, my country, what have you, and, and the universe, as Bucky did. Um, you know, he, what, one of the things why he got to the Dome is um, he started out going to Harvard. Uh, he had lost his father to a number of years of a stroke, and Bucky actually took care of his dad. So it was, he became a, you know, a caregiver early on. Mm-hmm. And... Um, his father passed away. The families got together and enough money for him to go to Harvard. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd gone to a previous university, made the football team, made the quarterback uh, team uh, as the quarterback, uh, but you had to supply your own uh, helmet. Mm-hmm. And at that time, they were leather helmets. Mm-hmm. Well, Bucky's mom was pretty poor at that time, and uh, Milford, I think, was the name of the school he was attending. Mm-hmm. And so she sold him a helmet out of cloth. <laughs> I can't imagine that. Uh, but then when Bucky uh, broke a, uh, a bone, because he, he wanted to be on the Harvard football team, but he couldn't do that. Um, uh, so um, when the, um, while he was at Harvard, um, he, his aunt was nearby and had a great day, and he would walk the dog around campus. Mm-hmm. Well, at that time, the Siegfried Follies, uh, uh, with Marilyn Miller as the major chorus girl, was at, uh, uh, was in um, in Massachusetts that time. Mm-hmm. So Bucky became acquainted with them because of the dog. And so when he reached half good semester, the first semester, halfway through the semester at in Harvard, he was bored to death. So he went to the bank, took out all the money from the bank, went to New York City, got an apartment, you know, and and tracked down uh, Marilyn Miller uh, and the Siegfried Follies and took them out drinking until they ran out of money. Um, um, the family wasn't happy, so uh-huh. they sentenced him to go to uh, uh, Canada to a cotton mill that had just received uh, machines from Europe that the, the instructions were either German or French, and they couldn't figure out how to get them working properly. Bucky was in hog heaven. I mean, he spent time doing that, and it was very successful. Came back to Harvard again and, and just quit. So, just, so how, I, I want to take a step back for a second, and these stories are they coming from books are they coming from bill are they coming from bucky like what is where does your knowledge of these stories originate um a lot from bill okay a lot from bill uh books um um oh gosh what i'm reading right now um is where i get the information about um uh, his his activities when he was younger in school, okay. but I kind of already heard some of these things before. Well, they, that's why it books mostly so and, and talk, it, it, talking to Thomas Zung, mm-hmm. uh, uh, who was part of the architecture uh, Fuller's architecture firm, uh, Bill Perp for sure, 
Um, other people who knew him, Larry Bush, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then other people from the design department. Um, you know, I didn't know when I was working on my master's degree in environmental design that what I was getting was comprehensive anticipatory design scientists. Mm-hmm. You know, when I see people like um, uh, Bob Swinson, the architect, Thad yeah. Heckman, the architect, John Davy, the architect, we think differently because of our design background. Mm-hmm. Not, not any better, not any worse, but differently mm-hmm. when, we, when we come to solve a problem. And I think it's this, that uh, uh, comprehensive design uh, anticipatory design science background. Hmm. And that kind of guides me into something that's also been itching at the back of my mind, which is the network of architects. Because it seems like architects are, are pretty well close to one another, right? I've, I've always worked in, in the media industry, and you'd be surprised at how close everybody is in, in like local television stations and how, how you know, you're just one, one hop away from you know, somebody in, in Southern Illinois uh, at, a, at a television station being connected to somebody at, you know, the largest television station in New York City or Los Angeles or what have you, uh, right? So a very, very tight-knit just based on profession. Is that mm-hmm. something that, that you've experienced as well here in Southern Illinois is, is a closeness of just the, the architecture community? Um, I started something 31 years ago called Kid Architecture, which was a camp to teach young oh, yeah. kids about architecture. Yeah. I've delivered you guys Chinese food before. <laughs> and and um, and where I got that idea is that there was a, a an American Institute of Architects meeting, and I was an associate member, and there was an architect from uh, Mid State that had uh, acquired a grant from the Illinois Arts Council to be a resident architect at a grade school for a semester, <laughs> uh-huh. and I just thought that's just great, and I, I thought, oh, well, I'll just write a grant you know, and see what happens, and I was mm-hmm. teaching at that time. And that my other concern was that I'd been teaching about 10 years, and, and I'd ask somebody, you know, why did you choose architecture? Oh, Dad says I can draw. Or why did you choose interior design? Oh, Mom said I can pick out colors. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, that's not a reason to choose a, prof- a, vo- a vocation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's about design. And so I thought, what we do in four years at SIU, I tried to do in one week with grade school kids. Mm-hmm. Wrote the grant from Illinois Arts Council, was awarded the grant, and started doing that. But the, the, the and ever since that time, for the last 31 years, the local chapter of the American Institute of Architects has contributed scholarship money mm-hmm. uh, for those for kids to come to the uh, the camp itself. Um, and that also too, uh, the AIA Illinois and our regional. Uh, or section, the Prairie section, uh, it, they all gave money for the restoration of the dome because mm-hmm. uh, they recognize it's, it's, a, it's a, something worthwhile to keep not only just the architecture itself, but the thinking, the concepts, and the ideas of Mr. Fuller, too. Yeah. No, you're, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely correct. And that's, that's a really cool way to contextualize uh, you know, the, the, the question of you know, what, what is closeness, that it's more than just you know, being professionals that rub elbows, that you, know, you guys are all able to come together and, and, and push a push cause uh, that is tied to so many different facets of what it is to do what architects do. Um, you know, I, I you know, can't really sit here and be like, I know what an architect does, but like, you know, but just to, just to, just to know that you guys are, are, are pushing the, the concept and the, and the value of, of what, uh, what skills and, and what ways you think about, um, you know, uh, just building 
structures and, and how that all kind of ties ties together. I appreciate that. Well, um, which which leads me back to another Buckminster Fuller um, question that I, that I've again had had itching in the back of my head during our conversation is what the network of Buckminster Fuller organizations looks like. Uh, you know whether it's around the country or around the world or or, or you know kind of how how all of those relationships e- exist and, and how they cross paths. Okay. Um, I've had the opportunity of having to go through tenure and promotion and, you know, publicizing, public, uh, publishing uh, papers and chapters and books and the like, and then having the opportunity to present them around the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, be I in, in uh, Egypt or Indonesia uh, uh, or um, India, um, and I come to the stage and I present my paper and I may mention I'm from SIU and the first thing people say is that oh but Mr. Fuller and he is known around the world to, to have been here for his 10 years in, 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 uh, at SIU. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I went up to look at the architecture of, at, at uh, Chandigra which was a the new capital, capital of, of Punja that region a province in India mm-hmm. that uh, occurred during the uh, Indian partition when there was the breaking away of the Muslims went into Pakistan mm-hmm. and the Sikhs came back into um, uh, India that I, I went there for the visit to, to see the architecture, and uh, they took me to the, the school of architecture there. And what's out in front? A Jizik dome. You know, I mean, it's just that kind of small things. Then two two years ago, um, I was in Singapore delivering a paper about um, teaching of the graduate uh, online graduate education in architecture, and there was a professor there from Poland delivering a paper on Buckminster Fuller. Mm-hmm. So we got to talking. He goes, "Well, you need to come out." In, uh, t- in 2019, uh, in, the sp- in, in September, because we at uh, Warhol University are having a, a fuller week there mm-hmm. with presentations and discussions and activity. And I also found that Jamie, uh, Allegra's uh, son, mm-hmm. Bucky's grandson, was going to be there too. So we <laughs> packed up our bags, and because and, that never, you know, I never thought of Poland. I mean, but they were enriched in, in Buckminster Fuller uh, mm-hmm. and the things he, were, he was doing. Um, my big problem when I went, we went there, I didn't read things carefully. And so we ended up, um, uh, we went to Warcaw, beautiful city, went down the next morning to catch a cab to the university. I gave the man the taxi the address, and he looks at me and goes, uh, this is not in Warcaw, that's in Krakow. I go, well, how far is that to get to Krakow? He goes, $400 round trip. And <laughs> I looked at Barbara and I said, you know, I have to be there. I mean, I got to meet Jamie. Uh-huh. And because that was during the time that we were beginning to talk about the donation, the gifting of the books and the artifacts. And, you know, I needed, I needed to make the, the, the presence of the dome to Jamie, you know, right there. It was important yeah. uh, for us to go. So $400. Down the down the way, um, it feels almost movie esque, John. Like it, it, like it feels like, uh, you know, like a like a, I don't know. I, I, Catch me if you can is just the movie that comes to mind. Like I like I envision, you know, stepping off of a plane and like out into uh, the you know the the taxi area and like having to jet off and making the decision and you zip away for four hundred dollars to however far you've you've had to go and and then you jump out of the cab and now you're there and you're hustling up to to get to Jamie and I, we gotta we gotta have the talk about the importance of the of the of the collection and the legacy and ah. <laughs> All I did, I had time to make the presentation and meet Jamie and then leave. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're right back out. 
But there is a, there is a network. Um, part of it is through the uh, 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 the full the Buckminster Fuller Institute, mm -hmm. which Jamie Snyder, Allegra's son, started. Mm -hmm. um, and we've got relationships with them. Um, we have a relationship with Ben uh, Lauer with the Edwardsville campus, with the dome in Edwardsville that actually Fuller, Seiji Suzawa, and Thomas Zung designed. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Seiji Suzawa and um, Thomas Zung was a student, and then uh, Fuller designed the Montreal Dome. Mm -hmm. And if you have never been able to visit that, go, because it feels like you're walking into a great European cathedral. I mean, it's, it's fantastic inside. So one, one thing to note about the the designing of a of a dome it's not like there's just this geodesic dome design and you can go scale it up and down however you see fit and, and drop it in place does it i mean does it have to be a very unique design per space to to achieve a particular function or how does how does that work that's a curiosity of mine as well in this conversation well there, there's a couple things um if you're a tall person and you've got your bed next to the wall you know, the wall is not going vertical. The wall is doing this. Uh -huh. So you can bump your head a lot. And then <laughs> if you're a, a person who has a lot of framed artwork, um, it doesn't hang not, very well at all. Um, I mean, that's why you can, the the artwork that you, we see in Bucky's house is sculpture mm -hmm. hanging from the ceiling itself. Um, uh, so we, it's a different place to be. It's volumetric. Okay. You know, I, I took a young lady on a tour yesterday, and the first thing she said he, she go, you can feel the volume mm -hmm. as opposed to these rectilinear walls. I mean, they, they, they define space, but when, when you're in the volume, it's a completely different feeling. Uh, also, too, uh, the first house I was bought, uh, there was a gentleman, Ed Cook, who's a, um, a carpenter who actually came when he got out of the, the uh, Navy. Uh, he came to SIU just to study under Bucky, and mm -hmm. he built a dome out uh, at uh, Crab Orchard uh, uh, trailer lot out there mm -hmm. and it was a nice wooden dome and I was looking talking with him and next door was this kind of a flowing uh, uh, sea of dried concrete with some plastic uh, uh, CPU uh, tubing coming out I go well, what happened there and he goes well a bunch of hippy dippies one day wanted to build their own dome so they called the ready mix up brought out you know a couple loads yards of concrete they just poured it on top of the grass before the, uh, the, the uh, well, the, the, the uh, concrete was still green. They put in the uh, PCV tubes, lashed them together, put chicken wire on the top of it, and sprayed it with foam, and uh, got had a fireplace with a flue come up for their house. That's where they lived. It was kind of <laughs> like, you know, uh, drop dome, drop city, you know, instant pop-up dome. Yeah. Uh, the, and they didn't realize that the, uh, the foam on the roof and the heat from the flue would catch fire and it did, so it burnt down. Oh no! Yeah, but that, that's kind of that that spark, that craziness that was occurring, you know, with Bucky here at that yeah. time. You know, um, I, when he was in New York City, uh, uh, there was a Bohemian club uh, bar lounge, like oh, I, I was just reading this, but it was where uh, he met uh, Noguchi the famous sculptor, sculptor mm -hmm. that we have a, a sculpture of, of a bust of Bucky in Morris Library by Noguchi. That is, okay, I didn't realize that yep. that was, okay. All and right. and that, that, that table that looks like a curved triangle with legs that kind of go up and down, 
very fancy piece of, uh, that's the Noguchi also. And so Bucky and Noguchi hung together in the bar, but it was known as the Bohemian Bar, with <laughs> the, the intelligentsia of New York City uh-huh. would hang out there. And it was in Soho, too. So, and these are the type of things that, I mean, when, when would the FBI have been keeping oh, tabs on Buckminster Fuller? I know that's something that, you know, has become kind of a, a topic of conversation in recent years. Um, well, I, you know, it's not surprising, um, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, A.J. Edgar Hoover despised Frank Lloyd Wright. Mm-hmm. You know, here was a gentleman that uh, his last wife, Gigavana, uh, 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 was from Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. uh, an immigrant, uh, um, uh, um, I think an undocumented immigrant also. Mm-hmm. Um, that, um, and also, Bucky, if you went to school at Taliesin, it was a commune. Mm-hmm. You know? And so that, didn't, that smelled a lot like socialism and communism to <laughs> J. Edgar Hoover. And I'm sure Bucky's the same way. Yeah. That uh, they, and actually, I did read somewhere... Uh, they were investigating him for some purpose. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. you know. But that doesn't surprise me. I've got I have a friend in town that worked for the forensic um, uh, folks in town, and I have been running trips to uh, Cuba, mm-hmm. travel study programs to Cuba, and also given papers in uh, two papers in, in Russia. Mm-hmm. And and I was told they've got your number, John. They're watching you. <laughs> so okay, so what? Oh, that's um, too good. At least I'm amongst the good crowd. <laughs> uh, yeah, right, right. Like, if I'm going to be on a list, I'm going to be on a list here. <laughs> well, you, were, you were talking about trim tab earlier as well, and it, it's, it's funny. It's kind of just as we've gone through the conversation, I've just had all these things kind of light bulbs going off in, in my brain o- o- over time. And like, oh, this, this ties back to this question or that. And uh, the trim tab thing ties directly into uh, how I first kind of made, made my acquaintance with uh, the, the dome home and the, the board um, on a whim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, when, I, when I fired up the, the Facebook event for, for inviting, uh, um, um, oh my gosh, why Jeff, I wanted to call him John for a second, inviting Jeff Bridges mm-hmm. uh, to, to visit the Bucky home. And I, and I appreciate you guys embracing that after realizing that I was coming from a positive place oh, to, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> to latch into that. And it was just, it was such an experience to, to work, to kind of put these, uh, you know, different things together. Uh, the books that, so it's Carrie and who else that had written the book? Thad Heckman. It, so Carrie and Thad. And Thad is here. Carrie is elsewhere. Carrie's in Virginia. Okay. And now that he took his second shot, he's, he wants to make his way here. Good. Good. Well, well I, hey, when he shows up, I'll, I will get him on the podcast as well. Yeah, he's less uh, Odell's brother. Really? Yeah, and oh, and okay. their sister just opened uh, two peas and a yeah 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 two yeah, beans, two beans uh, and a bud. But, yeah. Yep. Yep. Huh. So there's a lot of connection here. Yeah, man, it, it's it's just wild how this all comes. Well, I, I've even kind of got in the back of my head. Uh, I don't. So I'm 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 far kin to. Uh, the the bushes of Dean Bush construction and on down and I, I don't know that Larry Bush is related to to that clan or not but like just you hear names and things start to click and now that you're saying oh yeah it's Les's brothers hello how did I not at, at some point in time go mm-hmm. oh yeah of course Carrie Odell would be related to Les here uh, just kind of comes together <laughs> you know, one of the one of the big things that that I, I that recently I've been to, to solidify this is. Um, uh, Bucky, uh, um, Bucky lost a daughter uh, in 1920. Mm-hmm. She had um, uh, um, infantile p- uh, paralysis, polio, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, she had uh, influenza at the same time. She suffered for four years. Again, Bucky was the caretaker again. Uh, and then she died, and it broke his heart. And he took it upon himself. The story goes that he did not provide her proper shelter. And, it, it, and uh, uh, as far as there was the story goes, that he and his wife were, are up at um, uh, Chicago. It was a cold uh, winter day, and he made the calculations of how m- many clothes he would have to put on to be soaking wet that if he walked into Lake Michigan, he would drown. And then he had an aha, you know, some bright light, some uh, electric moment that why am I using and destroying this body? That, and, and he made the, the, uh, the observation that he, Bucky, belongs to the universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't have, it's not his responsibility. He can't get rid of himself. I mean, and so he dedicated himself to solving problems such as shelter. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then he didn't speak, or didn't work for two more years, as the, the story goes. Mm-hmm. And he questioned everything. And, um, and, and then he started speaking. And then, like when I heard him speak for six straight hours, mm-hmm. uh, the, big, the longest I heard a story that he knew he was uh, uh, being recorded because he could see the red light on the camera, uh-huh. that he spoke for 30 straight hours after someone asked him uh, a question that dealt with how did the universe begin? <laughs> um, so he was good at telling, uh, putting things together. Yeah. Um, and also, too, when you look at the books that he read, there's annotations everywhere in all the books and things he thought about and, and uh, um, uh, that, that he used in his thinking uh, across the board. Um, so wh- what happened was Bucky was kind of on the circuit uh, presenting his ideas and talking to schools mm-hmm. and, the, and anybody who would hear him. And... Um, Black Mountain College started with Joseph Albers. He was part of the Bauhaus School of Architecture and Art, uh, which started in um, uh, Weinmayer, uh, went to Dessau, and then ended up in Berlin. Uh, and then the majority of those instructors were of, of Jewish background. Mm-hmm. And they could smell from 1933 on uh, that it wasn't, Germany was not the correct place to hang out. Yeah. And one of the first people to leave was Eric Mendelssohn, who came to St. Louis. And he's the architect who designed the new contemporary, which is now an art and a black box theater mm-hmm. uh, at, at University City. Uh, he designed that first synagogue, breaking away from the uh, dome-shaped synagogues mm-hmm. and kind of a new, different uh, uh, Judaism, per se. Uh, that other people came, such as Joseph Albers. Uh, and that summer, in the 40s, late 40s, um, uh, um, Paul Goldberg, who designed the Marina Towers, the two... Uh, uh, skyscrapers in uh, on the on the river in Chicago that look like corn uh, corn cobs. Mm-hmm. Um, he was supposed to come to t- teach that summer, but he said there's a new up and coming young man. He's not very, not well known yet, but his name is Buck Mr. Fuller. <laughs> so they brought Bucky in that first summer. They loved him, you know, and he introduced the, all his geodesic thinking to him, his his tensegrity thinking to him, his synergetic thinking to the students. He came back another year, and then uh, one of the other a Bauhaus uh, a faculty and Mahogany ended up starting the um, Institute of Design in Chicago, the second Bauhaus. It then became Illinois Institute of Technology. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, Mies van der Rohe came over, uh, w- was part of the school, uh, even though Mahogany and, and Mies didn't talk or didn't get along at all. But uh, Cohen was a student 
who actually came down to Carbondale, he was a hire by um, um, uh, um, Delight Morris as, as to start the design department mm -hmm. and who the dean was Schrock, which we have Schrock uh, yeah. Auditorium. Um, so while uh, Cohen was at uh, IIT, Bucky came to speak and they hit it off as great friends. And then when Bucky's apartment caught fire in the, the mid 50s with all of his m models, his tetrahedrons and dodecahedrons and, you know, and the other shapes, uh, he needed somebody to help rebuild all of them. Mm -hmm. So he called up Cohen and asked, can I come and, and uh, you have some students? So Bucky came here in 19, between 1956 and 1959. Mm -hmm. um, and he was hired first off in the summer as a visiting lecturer. I've actually seen the contract mm -hmm. for $3,000 a month. Um, but later, when Delight Morris was wanting SIU to grow, um, he brought in people as research professors. An example of that was uh, Buckminster Fuller. Uh, and, and, and basically asked him, uh, I'd like you to stay on campus two months of the year. The rest of the time, you're a free-range chicken. Do what you want. <laughs> and so in 1960, uh, Bucky wanted to put his mouth, you know, put, put where his money was, or his money where his mouth was, or practice what he preached. Uh, he built a geodesic dome, you know, on on South Forest Street, mm -hmm. you know, with the the uh, with the students helping put it up, because um, he wanted to just make a statement that this is the least amount of materials for the greatest amount of strength, um, and that's what's unique about the dome itself. Uh, it's a different kind of living. Um, um, element. John, I hate to cut this episode short, I, but I, we will have continuing conversation. I try and keep these around an hour. There is so much more than an hour here, folks, yeah. which is why episode 64 will find itself paired with another episode down the line where we talk to John Davey just a little bit more about a lot more things. Um, and that said, let's get out of here. Have a good one, folks. Thank you. Whatever and, that one. Thank you very much. But, but again, have a long tape for Bill Perk. <laughs> I'm going to. I promise you. I promise you. Thank you very much, Nathan. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good one, folks. Mm. Whatever that one may be.